the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Forget O.J. Simpson, and if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. We'll take you back to the first century today. One of the greatest, heinous errors in courtroom history. Next, here on Abounding Grace. Join us. And again, welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Today, we continue our survey of Luke in chapter 22, verses 54 through 71. Our message is called The Trial of Jesus Christ, Part 2. I know, Easter in the middle of the Christmas season? You bet. There is a reason we celebrate that baby in a manger, and not because he stays a baby, but because he goes through what he goes through for you and I. And that's what we're reminded of again today as we re-examine the trial of Jesus Christ. Part two. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner now with today's program. And if you were here last week, you'll remember we were talking about the trials of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of his life during the intensification of his suffering and his death on our behalf. And I said there were two series of trials. One series of trials was before an ecclesiastical court, or that is, church courts. There was a pre-trial before Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who he went before next, who was then in that year the high priest. And then there was another trial before Caiaphas. And then there was another series of trials, this before civil courts, And these trials were also in three phases, one before Pilate, one before Herod, and one back to Pilate. Last week, we looked at the ecclesiastical trials of Jesus, but whether we were talking about those trials or the civil trials we'll talk about today, understand what is happening. And we're going to just review a minute of last week. The judge is being judged by sinful men, two corrupt priests and two evil politicians. And they judged him, the lawgiver of the universe, guilty of being a lawless outlaw, and they condemned him to death. Remember, before Annas, he kept silent, and that was the silence of sovereignty. He is in control throughout all these trials. And I know, beloved, I'm being repetitive. But it's important to keep in mind, there was one man in charge through all of this. And it is not Caiaphas, it is not Herod, nor is it Pilate. It is Jesus. He knows when to speak, and when he doesn't want to speak, no intimidation can make him. Then before Caiaphas, Caiaphas gets to the bottom line and asks him a theological question. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the living God? He didn't ask, 
are you one who claims to be the Messiah? He said, are you the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And Jesus said, in unequivocal terms, I am what you say. And furthermore, Caiaphas, we will see each other again when I come again, and our roles will be reversed. I'll be the judge, and you will be the one on trial that day. Then Caiaphas declares him guilty, and he does so as a representative of all Israel. Caiaphas is a representative of the family of God, and that brought grief to the Lord Jesus Christ, because he came to his own, and his own would have nothing to do with him. So Caiaphas turned Jesus over to some security officers of the Roman government who played gruesome games with him. They spit in his face. They beat him with their fist. His face was a bloody pulp. And they blindfolded him and said, Guess, Jesus, which one of us is hitting you, if you are the divine person? What humiliation from the hands of his creation. And remember, beloved, this was the church doing all of this to him. The church had sunk so low in the first century that it crucified its own head and the Savior of the body. The two courts that found Christ guilty of being a lawless outlaw, the Lord Jesus Christ himself would judge and he would destroy them according to Revelation. In Revelation chapters 5 through 12, we read about Christ's destruction of apostate Judaism, the ecclesiastical courts. And in chapters 13 through 19, we see Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of the Roman Empire. And with that, the implication is that any time there is any apostate churches that stand against Christ or any anti-Christian governments that stand against Christ, they will be judged and destroyed by Christ himself. So have hope, brothers and sisters. Then the gospel writers told us the sad story of Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, which brought even more agony, deeper agony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember I said Peter had a threefold problem that led to his denial. He didn't listen carefully to Jesus when Jesus was teaching. He trusted in his own strength and resolve and character, and he often acted out of impulse. And when you put these things together, they tended toward his denial. But also remember, Judas denied Christ in his betrayal. And there are similarities and differences between Judas and Peter. In the similarities, they both denied Christ. They both wept bitterly. They both felt intense guilt. And they both regretted what they had done. And that is the end of the similarities. Judas' sin and sense of guilt led, led him to suicide. Peter's sin and sense of guilt drove him closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Peter gave up everything, and he went back to fishing. And Early in the morning of Christ's resurrection, he and others were fishing in a vessel, and they saw Jesus on the shore preparing breakfast. And this, remember, is the resurrected Christ. 
Peter knew it was Jesus. They turned the vessel toward the shore, and Peter couldn't wait. He stripped down, and he jumped into the water so he could quickly get to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. So there you see in these two men the way a believer and a non-believer respond to a sense of guilt. A sense of guilt in a non-believer drives that person away from Christ. And a sense of guilt in a believer drives that person closer to Christ. Because he understands the basic pattern of life. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are those that mourn over their sin and guilt, for they shall run to Christ, and they will. Be comforted by him. So don't ever forget this difference between Judas and Peter, an unbeliever and a believer. Now, what was the purpose of Christ's trials? What do they tell us about the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's God's Son incarnate on trial before mortal men in our place so that we might stand. One day before Almighty God, without fear and at peace on that day when Jesus Christ comes again. The verdict of guilty was passed on Christ that it might not be passed on us on Judgment Day. So because he was condemned as a guilty sinner in our place, innocent though he was, it can be said about us in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation of any kind for those who are in Christ Jesus, the reason he had to be tried and condemned. Now, let's recap just a bit more. What did the church courts find Jesus guilty of? Breaking the first table of the law. Jesus, you are claiming to be God. You are breaking the first and second and third commandments. You're taking God's name in vain. What did the civil courts find him guilty of? Breaking the second table of the law. Jesus, you are bringing conflict into human society. You're not respecting authority. In other words, both church and state condemn the Lord Jesus Christ as a lawless outlaw who has broken all of God's laws and who therefore stands under the curse of God. At the same time these courts condemned Jesus, his innocence stands out clearly. I mean, these people before whom he was tried, tried time and again to say that he was innocent. Caiaphas tried every which way to condemn him. He let every kind of false witness come up before him, but they were inconsistent, says Scripture. And Pilate said three or four times, I, I can't find any guilt in this man that is worthy of punishment. And Herod agrees with me. So out of the same lips that condemned Jesus, you see clear declarations of his innocence. But he is ultimately found guilty. He bears the curse of the law, but it is for someone else. It's not for himself. He committed no crime guilty of death. He deserved nothing guilty of punishment. He was punished then for someone else. And that someone else, of course, was for us who broke God's law. And we were under its curse 
not him. So no matter how hard we try to escape or to avoid God's curse on our lives because of our sin, we cannot deliver ourselves from it. It is only in the Lord Jesus Christ who was condemned in our place that there is deliverance from the curse of God that dries up all of life. Now, let's look at the three phases of the civil trials. In Luke 24, the first 7:23, the first 7 verses record Christ's trial before Pilate. And we need to look at the attitude of the two men in this incident, the attitude of Caiaphas and the attitude of Pilate. First, the attitude of Caiaphas, the high priest of Israel, the man that instigated Christ's condemnation. What was he doing? Well, in Mark 15, 1, it says that he brought Jesus to the civil officials. What civil officials? He brought him to the imperial Roman officials. In other words, here you have the high priest of Israel taking Israel, listen, back into Egyptian bondage, coming back under the authority of imperial Rome after asking Rome to rescue them, save them, deliver them from this insurrectionist which amounted to them selling the Redeemer of Israel into bondage into this Roman Egypt. Now, why did they do that? Did they do it because the Jewish nation hated freedom and loved bondage to Rome? Well, anyone who knows the history of Judaism knows that freedom is something the Jews cherished. And that's why they chided so at being the slaves of the Roman Empire in the first century. In the first century, there was insurrection after insurrection after insurrection against the Roman authorities because of the hostility of the Jews toward the Roman tyranny and their love for freedom. So the reason they sold Jesus into bondage and put themselves back into bondage was not because they loved bondage and hated freedom, but because they hated Jesus' definition of freedom. They wanted freedom on their own terms. They wanted freedom from Christ's lordship. And that is the very reason our culture today opposes pure Christianity and tries to dilute it and compromise it. Our culture wants freedom, but not the kind of freedom Jesus Christ offers. What is the kind of freedom that Christ offers? It is the ability and the desire to obey God's will. And that is the only kind of freedom that Jesus knew anything about. Jesus came to set men free. And people are not free until they are freed according to Jesus. When he sets them free from sin's tyranny, he puts them in a position with a new heart where now they have the desire and the ability to obey God. That is what freedom is to Jesus. The ability and the desire to obey God's law and to do God's will. Freedom from enslavement to sin. And remember, beloved, if you are not free from sin, you will never be free to be liberated from tyrannies. Neither the first century Jewish culture nor our culture wants that kind of freedom. Why? They want freedom from God, at least the God of the Bible. 
And what Christians call freedom, our culture calls slavery. And what our culture calls freedom, Christians call slavery. Our culture would rather live under a socialistic, fascist tyranny than under the freedom of Jesus Christ. And now if you think that is just a wild, off-the-wall exaggeration, I'm going to show you it is not. Let me explain socialism and fascism. Socialism is the political philosophy where a nation says, I'm going to control you by confiscating your property, industry, and businesses. You'll run it according to our standards, but we'll reap the profits. That was Mr. Hitler. Mr. Mussolini was a fascist, and fascists say, you can own your own property. I'm just going to tell you what you can do with it and with your property. So if you read the newspapers at all and you listen to any of our politicians, Democrat or Republican, then you should understand that we live in a socialistic, fascist nation. We have a federal government that owns more and more business and industry in America, thereby controlling us in that part of our lives. And then in other parts, where we are free to own our own property, the government is becoming more and more tyrannical in telling us what we can and we cannot do with our own property. Well, that is similar to the tyranny the Jews suffered under the Roman Empire in the first century. And those Jews would prefer the supposed security of a socialistic fascist, fascist tyranny than the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ and living under His reign. I was told once by a young college student that he would rather live under a communist regime than to be ruled by a bunch of Christians. That is a twisted attitude of many Americans. Americans, I believe, would have done what Caiaphas did to Christ, bring similar charges against him before Pilate. Oh, he's stirring up unrest. He's stirring up rebellion. He's subverting our nation. He's opposing taxation by Rome. He falsely claims to be king. Luke 23 literally says after Caiaphas brings the accusation against Jesus that he is stirring up unrest and rebellion and subverting the nation. He says, we have found this man perverting our nation. That is the charge. This man deserves to die, Pilate. He's a pervert. Can you imagine the humiliation that this one and only sinless man is experiencing at this point being charged being a pervert? Here we see the increasing humiliation of Christ. Why is he called a pervert? It is because he doesn't recognize the authority of man's mind to define the freedom and to define right and wrong. He believes, correctly of course, that is the prerogative of God alone. And anyone who believes that is a pervert in a godless culture. Today, a pervert is someone who does not believe in a woman's right of choice to kill her baby. Today, a pervert is someone who does not believe in the right to have sex with whomever you wish as long as it's consensual. And if you believe I'm exaggerating, you haven't been listening to the news. Beloved, you are the perverts. Now, what was Caiaphas' basic problem? There were three. 
First of all, he threw away the key in understanding the Bible. Here he was, supposed to be the chief interpreter of the Bible as a chief priest, and he threw away the key to understanding the Bible. Well, what is the key to understanding the Word of God? The key is that it is the heart that is the issue. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. What was Caiaphas' belief? I can assure you it was not that. Caiaphas and the leaders of the first century said, it is external behavior and correctness that is important. Make sure when you worship God, you perform the right rituals. Make sure when you relate to other men that you exhibit the right behavior. They weren't concerned with the heart or motives or goals. It was purely an externalistic type of religion. And when they started believing that, disregarding the heart, they threw away the key to understanding the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Secondly, Caiaphas' problem was he reduced the religion of God down to a system of ethics. He quit talking about a Redeemer and concentrated on the law. They had a strict system of ethics. They focused exclusively on right and wrong. And that is what the Jewish Pharisees of that, cent that century offered of the world, only a system of ethics. What is bad about that is, not only does it leave out the redemptive element of biblical faith and the ability to obey God's law, but Caiaphas wanted morality without the king. Here was the king before him, the lawgiver of the universe. Caiaphas wanted morality without him. You say, well, how terrible. Every Christian should see the fallacy of that. Well, they do not, beloved. One of the leading evangelistic Christians who teaches, I believe, still at Dallas Theological Seminary is Norman Geisler. One time when a group of men, men like Joe Moorcraft, were on television explaining how they believed Christ and His Word should be the basis of our culture, Mr. Geisler got up and said, My disagreement with these Presbyterians is that they want a Christian nation. What we need is a moral nation. How can you have a moral nation without Christ? Caiaphas, Mr. Geisler. That is what Caiaphas wanted. A system of right and wrong without the king. And my friends, that is absolutely impossible. Then the third problem of Caiaphas is that he asserted his desire to add stipulations to the word of God. You see, that was one of the biggest problems of the Jews for centuries in between the two testaments and in, into in the first century and ever since. They quit concerning themselves with the Torah, that is, the law of the Bible, and became more concerned with the rabbinical teachings and their regulations like the Mishnah and the Talmud and the like. They believed that the law of God needed to be brought up to date. You ever heard that before? There need to be added stipulations. That was the concern of the Jewish leaders and still is today. Let me show you how concerned Caiaphas was with stipulations that were not in the Word of God. Here's Caiaphas condemning the Savior of Israel. 
but he won't go into Pilate's house, his palace. Why? Because rabbinical law said that if a Jew goes into a Gentile's home, he is unclean. And Mr. Caiaphas certainly didn't want to be unclean as he sold out the Savior of the world. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.